Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Podcast. I'm your host, Jace. This is a creator-owned spotlight. We're going to be talking about an upcoming Zoop campaign. It should launch on November 11th. I'll certainly let you know if that is the case. And we have returning to the show the writer of the project, B. Clay Moore. He's joining us today. Welcome back to the show, B. Clay. Thanks, Jace. How you doing? Good. It's uh, it's good to have you back. Uh, listeners of the podcast will know that uh, I was singing the praises of your recent Aftershock series, uh, Miles to Go. Which yeah, and I, I, I don't know if I've expressed it to you, but I really do appreciate you doing your best to spread the word on that. Yeah, it's such a fantastic uh, series. We'll definitely have to have you on to, uh, to talk about that at some point. Uh, but this time we're having you talk about uh, this Zoop campaign, as I mentioned, for uh, a property that was at DC at one point, but now is uh, is back in your hands, the Whistling Skull. So why don't you let our listeners know what that series is all about? Um, so, yeah, it's a book that um, Tony Harris and I created. It was published by DC about 10 years ago, uh, the very end of 2012, 2013, uh, which I, it blows my mind. It was that long ago. Um, that was actually, it's, it's an interesting story. It was actually approved back in 2007. So this is a book that we worked on for quite a while. Um, the Whistling Skull, it's uh, it's kind of a pulp series set in the 40s. Um, the character is a um, generational hero. So he's one of several in line. Um, and then he has a sidekick uh, who, who goes by the name Knuckles, who um, is uh, sort of... Um, childlike um basically the character of the the person who is the skull in real life was sort of tasked with looking after his companion and then he sort of joined him in the identity of the whistling skull um originally it was a six issue series published by dc and the original title the original published title was jsa the liberty files the whistling skull which was kind of a mouthful um, right and again, it's it's an interesting story, but uh, that's because after the book had been pitched, approved, and actually written, um, it was originally going to be published by Wildstorm, which was a DC imprint. Mm-hmm. Wildstorm was shut down before it was published, and um, so we knew that it would be moving over to DC proper, uh, one of the DC imprints, and Tony who had previously co-created the Liberty files with Elseworlds version of JSA characters threw out the idea that we incorporate the whistling skull into that universe, which at the time I just thought was ridiculous just because I just didn't think there was any way DC was going to take this creator on character and fold it in. But, um, they did. Um, so I, Jim Lee and Dan and, uh, Hank canals at Wildstorm, they, uh, they gave us the green light. So I rewrote the whole thing, incorporated the more, more as framing characters um, and, and kind of used what they had done in the previous series to sort of inform the world of the skull. It didn't really change much of anything um, except to incorporate these characters and sort of expand the universe. Um, so that was published, like I said, 10 years ago. Um, there wasn't a follow-up. And a few years, maybe a year and a half ago, Tony and I inquired about um, a rights reversion where we could regain the rights to the character and the original material, minus the DC stuff. Um, 
and uh, so we made that happen. And, um, you know, it's one of those things where um, it's just, it's been there. I, you know, when you do enough books and especially when you own the rights to stuff, there's a point where you realize, you know, stuff falls out of print um, that might've been popular that people enjoyed. And, and more often than not, it's just a case of you move on to other things and, you know, you, you with anything you own the rights to, you're kind of in charge of things. So um I mean, there's stuff from the past that I would like to sort of reformat and, and reprint in a different version that I've done. Uh, this would be kind of the first of that. But um, I, Tony had a conversation with Zoop about, I, I don't know about what, um, he's got another book that he had actually crowdfunded a, a while ago called Round Eye that he's been working on forever. And maybe they had talked to him about that, but he's actually in production on that with a publisher where he's going to sort of fulfill all those you know, campaigns and everything. Um, and that's for him to talk about, but he must've mentioned this to them. And then they kind of all came and the way Zoop works um, it's crowdfunding, but I kind of put, put it this way the other day online. It's, it, the truth is the direct market is crowdfunding. Basically. I mean, publishers send out solicitations without books, it's True. generate sales, pre-sales, and then literally print copies based on those pre-sales and then ship them out to shops. It's just, uh, this is direct to consumers with options for, for retailers. Um, and, and the way Zoop works, they handle everything. Um, so essentially it's a publisher, um, that lets you do what you want to do creatively. And then they handle all the heavy lifting. Um, and so when the campaign launches, you know, we'll determine however many people are interested in this, in this hardcover edition, which again has been the term I've been using is remixed to sort of wash out the DC elements and uh, replace them with original concepts um, and also kind of use it as a ground, uh, a ground floor for what we might do in the future with the character, because we had originally kind of conceived it as like a 40 issue, like, like we would tell the story of this particular version of the whistling skull from beginning to end. Um, so that's something we, you know, we may investigate. Um, but anyway, so what this book will be is um, sort of a remixed, uh, remastered. Um, Dave McCaig, the original colorist, has kind of tweaked the color a little because just to make sure it prints the way we want it to. Tony's already done all the new artwork. Uh, everything. I mean, it's the other thing about Zoop with us in this campaign is that we, we won't launch it until everything's in hand. And it's, you know, at that point, we just hand it over to them see who's in, you know, who's interested in it and, um, and uh, do our best to kind of get the word out. So, yeah, that was, that was way more answer than question. But. No, it's fantastic. You're making my job easy. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I do want to want to talk a little bit more about the story in, in a minute, because uh, I think that's where it can really hook people. Uh, but before we do that, um, it's mentioned on the pre-launch page that there'll be some, some new material. So is that just the material that's replacing the stuff that, um, th that, you know, obviously the DC stuff had to come out because it's reverted to you guys, uh, or is there other back matter and other um, extras you're going to provide? Yeah, there's, so it was originally, originally we, the original trade was, I didn't have a lot of extra content. Um, and I, to be honest with you, I don't even, Tony's, I've got the digital files for the trade. Um, so I couldn't tell you what, what was in there and what wasn't, but just, we've kind of gone back and looked at, um, like Tony does a lot of, uh, and again, since the thing was approved in 2007, we had a lot of 
groundwork that we, mm-hmm. that we covered. Um, and, and Tony will do these like full pencil sketches of, of characters. And um, I mean, the truth is he, <laughs> I, I don't know if we've decided quite how much of it we're going to put in there, but I mean, he does uh, like he built a complete replica of the whistling skull costume with the mask and the wow. and which is i don't that's a talent he has that that i don't know where he finds the time to do it but i mean he rebuilds like the millennium file i mean just he he's he's a, he's a maker let me put it that way i'm not just an artist so i don't know how much we'll include in terms of like photographs and some of that stuff but i mean like there's a watch we call the worm watch in the story that's kind of a it's a it's a time jumping watch um it's explained in the story, but he actually, I don't even know if you remember this, but I had a picture of it. He had designed that watch and made it physically and sent me a picture of it um, for reference, but we'll include um, a lot of that stuff. He's painting a new, a brand new cover uh, for the book, um, which he'll have done before the campaign launches. Um, We have new characters that we've introduced um, and, and, and sort of a, um, I've reworked the story in some places where the art may not have been affected just to sort of reset the universe a little bit. Um, the DC stuff informed what we had created, but now in turn kind of what we had done. And I say DC stuff, but even that stuff was created by Tony and uh, I was a Dan Jolly, whoever had done it originally um, based on DC stuff. So it's kind of a tweak of a tweak to begin with, but that has kind of helped me um, envision the larger world that the skull is a part of. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I mean, most of the extra, there will be new, new artwork to replace the old characters, which Tony's done and, and we co-created new characters. Uh some of it's been rescripted, and then there will also be, yeah, um, extra material that hasn't been seen, um, developmental stuff. Um, there's a, a, a ballad I wrote <laughs> right out of the gate that I'd forgotten about that I, that I found. Um, and, and as I said, Tony's uh, in the process of finishing a brand new painted cover for the book. So. Yeah, so it sounds like uh, even for anybody who owns the singles of the original or loves the original, you know, you may want to think about picking this up because it, it will be, uh, as B. Clay describes it, remixed. So something to uh, to think about. Uh, in terms of the story itself, I hadn't read this in, in years. Um, but when I uh, heard that you were having the campaign, I went back, dug out my my issues and and took a look at it. First of all, Tony's art is, is absolutely amazing. Yeah. Uh, but what I was struck by, and I remember thinking this back when I first read it, was that the world that you guys created is so rich and it seems like you're drawing inspirations from so many different places. You know, you mentioned it's pulp, but I also get that kind of Saturday matinee serial vibe, a little bit of an Indiana Jones vibe with the the evil Nazis and and whatnot. Mm -hmm. I mean, you guys captured that, that sort of tone and that, that feel of that era so accurately um what i mean it was it just a love of the era and that type of storytelling like what do you think it is about what you and tony did that kind of epitomized that sort of type of story well first of all i appreciate that um i I, me personally um and and this is kind of reflected in all the stuff i've done going back to hawaiian dick and battle him and uh um even the more modern stuff even probably miles to go and 
to the leading man, all these things. Um, my dog there. Um, I grew up just obsessed with pop culture in general. Um, so it, it, like my influences were never, my influences were contemporary, but they also reached back and, 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 and what influenced me creatively in terms of like, uh, say comic book writers were guys, Alan Moore, uh, Alan Moore and James Robinson, two of the primary influences, which is why working with Tony, who co-created Starman with James Robinson, has been so great. Those guys were so good at taking what was fun or off the wall or exciting about the pop culture of the past, but and then presenting it in a way that was modern enough so that it didn't it didn't seem silly or making fun of it. Um, and it was it came off as contemporary, even though it was really, you know, enriched by the past. So that that's that's what I am you know trying to do. And yeah, the the fact that we're both, you know, well versed in in all of that stuff definitely came out. Um, I mean, Tony, the original conception was Tony's. It the whole story is, uh, and, and I'm trying to work on an intro that kind of encapsulates it. But so as I said, my 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 primary, like my holy grail of comics that, that kept me interested in reading them, like when I was in college and sort of helped me see what I could do if I wanted to write comics was probably Starman, which again, James Robinson wrote, Tony co-created and, and illustrated at least most of it. Um, that was one of the first times I saw sort of an accessible genre superhero thing that was smart and also created its own universe and world. You know, the city was a, was a character. Um, the pop culture references um, resonated with me. Now in later years, as I became friends with James and was always flattered that James responded so well to my stuff, I finally realized that's because we have such similar influences. It's, it's, I don't even know if, like, I don't know if it's good. I just think that he, you know, I mean, so it's uh, the golden age by James and Paul Smith is another book that, you know, set in the golden age, but it's not cheesy and golden age. It's a phenomenal book, but yeah, at a certain point, you know, James would always compliment what I was doing and vice versa. And I'm like, well, we're all we're doing. It's a mutual admiration because we have the same set of influences and everything. Um, he called me about I don't know, several years ago. He called me from a Starbucks in Portland or Seattle and he had a uh, an early 70s Northern Soul song that was a hit in Britain stuck in his head, but he couldn't remember what it was. And I hadn't heard from him for a while. And he called me and sat there and hummed what he could remember of it uh, while he was standing in line for coffee to see if by any chance I could, rem you know, I could figure out what it was. Yeah. Um, and I did. I, mean, it took me, I got off the phone and I went through it and I hummed it and I went through it and I found a YouTube video of it and sent it to him. And But, you know, that, I mean... There are very few people that, anyway, um, so, but Tony and I kind of have the same, um, like, I understand he's, um, he's, his creativity is sort of um, unfettered. I mean, just look at, if you look at the, look at the character, you know, it's a character, it's a skull with a bowler hat and a pipe sticking out of its head and he makes it work. Yep. Um, it's alternately a terrifying image, but also, you know, um, living. Um, and, and from my perspective, it really makes it easier for me to, uh, 
kind of open up what I'm doing. And, you know, I kind of know what track he's on so I can throw stuff out there. And I think as soon as he approached me with the original idea and I knew what era we were talking about and just the idea of it being pulp and noir and everything, all that stuff that you're talking about just kind of flooded out. I mean, it wasn't even something we really needed to sit down and plot out and talk about, you know, I would write dialogue, you know, it's set in, in England and he would tell me how blown away he was by, you know, how accurate it sounded in his head or whatever. So it's, it's, it's been great working with him um, over the years, just because we, we, you know, we see so eye to eye on, on, on where we're going with it. And my nature as a, as a writer is to, I don't want to say capitulate, but to try to draw what the artists try to base what I'm doing on the artist's inspiration. If that makes any sense. Instead of trying to hammer my concepts and stuff into the artist, especially yeah. the creator. Yeah. I mean, why wouldn't you play to their, their strengths and you just end up with a better product at the end. That's my theory. And it's, it's, it's one reason that work for hire gets difficult is sometimes you don't know the artist you're working with. You don't have right. contact with them. You'll write an entire story I've had this happen more than once where I'll write a story and when I, it comes back to me from, I'm just sort of, I don't recognize it, you know? I yeah. mean, um, so yeah, I, I do think collaborating on creator on comics without a lot of editorial or publisher interference is, is generally going to produce the best. Most yeah, creative. I, another thing about the, the era that, that this is set in, you know, it would be, Obviously, these are modern comics, but set back in an era, you know, that it would be have been the golden age. And so oftentimes, and I love this term, when you think back to those heroes, they weren't necessarily called heroes or superheroes, but rather mystery men. Right, right. Uh, and I, I love that term because the Whistling Skull, he's he's much more of a mystery man than a, than a hero. You know, there's, right. uh, like you said, that first of all, his, his, you know, visual aesthetic is, is you know, very different from something uh, – you know, iconic and clean and, and super heroic. Um, and, and there is a little bit of the horror element to the story and a little bit of the mystery with who's behind these kidnappings in the countryside and, and that sort of thing. So um, is that, is, is that sort of aesthetic? Uh, does that play into uh, your, uh, your likes when you read things, when you're looking for something to, to entertain you? Is it that era, that idea of a mystery man more than, than a superhero that kind of plays to your strengths, you think? It does. Um, I, I kind of go back to, and I know he's people, I, I feel like he trolls the comics community constantly, but I kind of go back to Alan Moore on this to a degree. Um, and that Watchmen is what it is. But like, if you went back and read like his Supreme, which was basically Superman, mm-hmm. until Grant Morrison did All-Star Superman, I think Supreme was the best Superman that had been written maybe ever. And it was because he, like he understood what you responded to as a child or as a kid about Superman and brought it forward, but still made it smart without, as I said, without like ridiculing the cheesy aspects or whatever. And it's, you know, people will talk about Alan Moore and say, you know, he doesn't create his own stuff and blah, blah, blah. But I just think there's a trick to what he does that I haven't seen many other people do as effectively. And he did it with, um, you know, with his, um, his Wildstorm books, uh, Tom Strong and, and, and those books as well. I mean, you see the inspiration and all the trappings are there. It's not, it's not like, it's not like the Dark Knight Returns, which is a complete reinvention of Batman based on, um, you know, Frank Miller's modern 
um, assessment of where the hero would be or whatever, you, you know, I mean, and that's not to put that book down. I mean, it's a, it's an, a, an amazing achievement, but um, so I do go back to that era for inspiration, but not to mimic the, I mean, like I love golden age. Like Dennis hopeless one time asked me, you know, like what, almost what was wrong with me because I, I love these stupid, cheesy, badly drawn old comics and I'm never trying to present that stuff as, you know, I, I wouldn't hand that to somebody now and say, look, this is what comics can be. But there's something about the sort of throw it at the wall, run and just throw, you know, straight creative inspiration. Don't worry if it makes any sense, throw it out there and get it done. And if it doesn't work, move on to something else. That whole um, uh, aesthetic or vibe that, that I, that appeals to me. And I like trying to figure out how to make that kind of stuff make sense in a modern context without, without making it ironic and, you know, I mean, maybe dark, but not, um, you know, not, not, as I said, not making fun of it. I mean, like, like I've always wanted to take, like, I love the pulp heroes, the old pulp heroes and everything. I've always kind of wanted to do a modern update of public domain pulp heroes but I don't think there's any way to do that in a modern context without making it extremely dark and disturbing because if those characters existed the way they presented themselves and stuff and where they crawled around at night and stuff, it, it would be uh, a horror show. I mean, I mean, you know, these are seriously damaged, screwed up characters, you know, with the, you know, the scarves over their faces, you know, laughing at the night and, you know, um, that, I bring that up because again, it's like, I love those old stories. I would never try to replicate them. Um, but I think if you really got to the heart of that stuff, uh, it would be a lot darker and it was supposed to be at the time. I mean, you know, um, I don't know. I just posted on Tumblr, a, a bunch of, uh, uh, horror pre-code horror covers, which are truly horrible. I mean, some of these covers, like one of them is, a. It's a decapitated head that's clearly dead with a tongue sticking out, ringing in a bell as Quasimodo rings the bell. I mean, it's stuff that today parents would freak out about if they saw right. it. And it's so bonkers and insane, um, which which kind of sparked, again, me thinking, well, what if these covers are also crazy? And a lot of the time they knew they didn't have to put a story behind it. It's like, you know, what there's a an ant with a man's head crawling out of a skull with a dagger. I thought it would be fun to take those old covers and maybe have creators today just take the covers and build, you know, stories around them with their own aesthetic. And uh, to the degree that when I mentioned it to a group of creators I have, I had a whole bunch of people say, Hey, you know, so I mean like within, within a few days, I was like, all right, let's figure this out. You know what I mean? I mean, just cause those covers are all public domain and they're bonkers. And I'd love to see what different take creators have on them. Um, I don't know. Again, I, I'm, it's been a long day and I'm kind of talking all over your, your question, but um, yeah, that stuff does appeal to me. I mean, I like, I also like telling stories that, that are period. And I, and I have done less and less of that more recently. I mean, you know, the Valiant stuff I did and the uh, miles to go and, and, and uh, more recent stuff has been contemporary, but what's nice about doing period stories is that it's all, you know, the, you know what you're dealing with. There's, I mean, it's the world exists and you can tweak it and you, you know, kind of work with people's perceptions, but it's like, you've got a complete stage already that you can tell a story on without, you know, having to, you know, I mean, I'm working artist named Mac Chater and I, um, 
who's brilliant, um, have been working on a, a horror thing that we're that we're that'll be out next year. Uh, it's a political horror thing, and as we started it pre-COVID, and as stuff developed through COVID and through the end of the last administration, all these things that we thought were almost too too crazy to put in a contemporary book and try to sell as real kind of happened. I mean, um, so it's like if, if, that, if we had said that in the past, we would know what the parameters were. Well, we, we made it contemporary and all of a sudden it's, it almost looks like we're mirroring reality when no, we really didn't know reality was going to get so batshit crazy. Um, I, I remember talking, I mean, again, this is kind of the same kind of what I'm talking about. So we're talking about doing a contemporary thing. We were talking about what would happen, like how would the country, what, how could you shut the country down, you know? And in my head, I'm like, there's just no way you could just shut the country down in a week or two. But I thought, well, if you shut the internet down, that would probably do it. Well, then COVID hit and the country shut down in two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, holy shit. I mean, you know, it was like for a brief moment there, it kind of felt like we were living in this post-apocalyptic society where we didn't know where anything was going, you know? Um, so it makes it a little more tricky when you're building a book that's going to be out next summer and you're trying to reflect, you know, what's going on now. And then now is so bonkers crazy that your book looks tame by comparison. Whereas if I'm doing something set in the fifties, sixties, seventies, you know, we know, you know, I mean, we yeah, know you don't have to worry. Yeah. You don't have to worry so much about, you know, kind of changing values or, or what have you. Cause you're right. I mean, I've talked to so many creators that have created content in the last couple of years that say that it's like, yeah, I wrote this book, you know, way back when, and now you look at it and it's, it was like, I was seeing the future in, in a way. Now I have to go further with my villains. Uh, That's it. Sudden, yeah. Well, life suddenly, is, yeah. Stranger than fiction. When reality trumps your satire, yeah. you're like, yeah, I mean, it's even weirder than we thought it would be, you know, so. Yeah. And if that name, everybody, uh, Mac Chatter sounds uh, familiar, um, we talked about his art just a, a few weeks ago when he did a he did a fill in on uh, Bloodstained Teeth, the, right, uh, yeah. the Christian Ward book. So uh, excited to hear what you and, and Mac uh, may have to do. Um, but it kind of leads me to uh, another question. You know, talking about this um, constantly shifting you know line in the sand of of you know what's reality, what's crazy or not. Coming back to this property, the Whistling Skull, after so long. Um, were there any challenges being that you and Tony had to, you know, make some changes to the story remix, as you put it, um, being that you'd been away from it for so long? Um, yeah, I mean, I had to, I mean, I hadn't sat down and read the book for a long time and, and I'll be honest. Um, it, it, it almost sounds like, sounds like I was just, um, trying to build Tony up, but I, I was, it really struck me how beautiful the art is. I mean, it's, so, you know, Tony, Tony, as he, he initially came up and he was sort of known for doing more straight photo reference kind mm -hmm. of stuff. And especially like he got, like, if you look at Ex Machina um, with Brian K. Vaughn, that's really photo reference based. Um, and, and there's nothing wrong with photo reference. I mean, you're still building the, you know, you're still, um, building the composition and the storytelling and everything. But, but when he kind of moves away from it and, and, and gets more um, cartoony is, is a word, you know, that people, I think 
people look down their noses at, but more, um, I don't know what the word I'm trying to, more expressive, more uh, just less grounded in reality. Um, and if you, if you go to my Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or whatever, I've posted images from the, the book that are just dynamic and uh, I, there's just so much life to them, even though it's less photorealistic. Um, I was really struck when I went back just how much I love the art that he and David McKay as the colorist had a lot to do with that as well. I mean, his colors uh, perfectly suited the mood and the atmosphere of the book, but um, uh, that was the first thing that struck me. And the second thing was I'd almost forgotten how complex the storytelling is in some ways. Um, there's a lot that we kind of leave up to the audience. If you work your way through it in terms of understanding, you know, we don't, and it's, kind of how I how I work a lot um and I, I I've thought about it more recently that sometimes maybe I'm like I'll do a flashback sequence without explicitly stating where we are when we are and all this you mm -hmm. know what I mean yeah uh, miles ago opens with a, a flashback um that you think may be a dream um but with the whistling skull because we were we were presenting the character as other people saw him um and you know you just look at that image you've got up there obviously I think people would react to him a specific way. Um, the other heroes, the other mystery men don't really know much about him. The villagers, these people are kind of, you know, they don't really, some of it. And, um, but then in our story, we really go into the background of who this particular person is, who Nigel, his sidekick Knuckles is, why they're a pairing um, and why he, feels why he um has knuckles so close to him and and um you know the, the i think there's more complexity in the story than than you would realize on the surface because we present nigel as um sort of uh i don't want to say developmentally disabled but he's sort of stuck you know he, he has he's kind of stuck at a, at a nine or ten year old level as right. a right? which when we did the book, Tony and I both had kids around that age. Um, and, uh, but he's capable and he's, in fact, he saves the day more than, more than the skull does um, just because he's operating out of this sense of loyalty and love. Um, reading it again, I'm, I'm, re I'm really happy with the way that character was portrayed and the way their relationship was portrayed. I think it works really well because that can be really sensitive, obviously, mm -hmm. and especially 10 years down the road, I, you know, I was concerned, well, how's this character going to read? But um, like, I don't think, like I've done some things that I've looked at years down the road at the time seemed fine. And even now seems fine, but I know the reaction to things, you know what I mean? I like, I've had to tweak some things around, um, I, I didn't feel that we needed to do that with this book, really. There's nothing, you know, I don't think there's anything that's going to offend anyone. And, and hopefully people that, that pick it up and give it a chance. And in 10 years, I assume there's a whole new generation of people that are kind of, you know, invested in, in, in comics. Um, reading it for the first time will kind of feel the same way about the characters and the way they interact. Um, yeah, hopefully you'll you'll, you'll ha tap into some of that new audience, which uh, which brings me to the the part of the show where I'm going to remind everybody, as I always do, we do these crowdfunded um, projects. 
So even if this doesn't sound like something you might be interested, or maybe it sounds right up your alley, but you just don't have the means to join the campaign right now, best thing you can do to help out B. Clay and Tony is to share it on social media. Let's get everybody's eyes on this thing. So anybody who wants to be a part of the campaign, wants to have uh, you know the nice collected edition on their shelf, can get it. So uh, please just take a few minutes, go check out the campaign. There's a link in the show notes, or you can just go to zoop.gg.com. Uh, as I said, um, supposed to launch on November 11th. We're recording this a, a few days uh, ahead of time. Uh, and I'll certainly let everybody know when it does launch and you'll see this on social media and, uh, and all that. So, uh, as we're winding down here, B. Clay, I wonder, um, if you, do you know at this point, uh, any of the tiers, obviously you can get the, the book, uh, you mentioned a new cover from Tony, <coughs> something for retailers, anything you can tell us about other possible rewards? Yeah, I think, um, it, we'll do a signed edition, um, um, will I, t- Tony will do remarks. Um, he, uh, um, and if you, I should probably post some of these because, uh, but he's, he's done a couple sketches, uh, of the skull and, and Nigel that he's, he's shown as examples of, um, well, some of them are already finished, but as also ex- examples of little pieces of art he'll, he'll, he'll do, um, yeah, he'll do quick remarks and his sketches are great. Um, mm-hmm. um, trying to think what, I mean, for the most part, I mean, oh, and actually, uh, this, I don't know if I want to spoil it, but um, there are some things that were associated with the original uh, pitch. Um, one of the things that, um, one of the things that, and this is uh, Tony, uh, I don't know. I mentioned the fact that he said, Hey, how about if we bring these DC elements in? And I was like, sure, let's try that. And didn't think it would work. Right. Well, that's his whole philosophy is we don't, if you don't do it, it's, you know, it's not going to happen. If you don't ask, it won't happen. So he, um, I had a lot of faith in the fact that this book would get picked up when we pitched it originally, but he built these kits for editorial, like in a coffin with like, parchment and bones and stuff like this that he's sent to the editorial teams as part of the pitch, which if you're out there pitching comics, that generally speaking doesn't, I mean, the book is what's going to sell stuff, but since he had a relationship with these people and everything and just kind of wanted to get people immersed and because he loves making things, uh, it's crazy. But I think we may make some of those available to, you know, to people who want to invest in those. Um, um, but, but generally speaking, you know, it's not, the campaign will, it's going to be focused on the book um, and, and things that we can um, get taken care of easily and quickly. You know, like I said, uh, uh, we talked to Zoop early on and, you know, and until we had everything in house, we weren't going to launch the campaign. That's one reason there wasn't a concrete, you know, on this date we'll launch. We just want to make sure we've got all our ducks in a row. And then when Dave offered to re sort of uh, knock the color back a little on some of the pages so that it printed a little more like we wanted to, um, you know, that became part of the process because I'm re-lettering a lot, you know, I mean, so we want to make sure all of our ducks are in a row, which, which I really appreciate about, uh, the way these guys are doing things. So, yeah, it's one of the, the great things about Zoop. Um, you know, not, not that that doesn't happen with other crowdfunding platforms, you know, you, you generally speaking in the comic community, you're going to get, you know, what you pledge to support, but with Zoop, it's not that necessarily that long wait. I mean, sometimes you wait six months, eight months, sometimes a year to get your stuff. But if everything's going to be done with this uh, Whistling Skull campaign before you guys launch, I would, you know, expect 
a few months after, maybe two, three months after the campaign's done, everybody's going to get their fulfillment. So that's, that's really great. Right. That, and that was necessary for it. Yeah. Because I mean, I've run campaigns that have worked with other people and I've had campaign that, you know, is hanging out there, you know, because I've got a hundred different things in the works. So I didn't want to do First of all, I don't know that I would ever do another crowdfunding campaign solo. Um, and uh, Zoop, uh, you know, when they first launched, I was kind of like, really, you know, but um, man, after dealing with these guys, uh, they're smart and, you know, they, they enjoy the material and what they're doing and uh, they understand the temperament and personalities of creators, uh, which is a big part of it. Uh, so they've been great to work with. So uh, yeah, I would, I would, if this goes well and, you know, we get some other ducks in a row, I've, you know, I, I think it'd be a great place to represent some other stuff from the past that I'd like to, rework and get out there so we'll yeah see. and and uh maybe we'd get some new whistle whistling skull material sounds like uh you and tony had more plans for this property yeah we did we got that and then there's another thing that we've kicked around for years as well that um tony keeps bringing up which is even crazier than the whistling skull um <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> we, every time he brings it up i'm kind of like okay i mean we'll, um we almost did it a couple places years ago and i don't i i won't get into what it is but it's it's a it's bonkers it's a crazy western thing but um uh but it would be awesome so um you know uh, i would love to do more skull uh or you know this other project or anything i i, I really really like working with tony and um and we're both in a pretty good place these days creatively and personally and everything so that's that's a good big part of it well, that's fantastic. Well, fingers crossed. Uh, best of luck on the campaign for uh, Whistling Skull. Hope it does really, really well. I know I'll be joining the campaign to get a, a collected edition myself. Um, as we're winding down here, where's the best place to follow you and your work online? Uh, if people want to uh, see those sketches you mentioned, once the campaign starts, I imagine you and Tony would be kind of sharing some of that. Uh, where's the best place? Um, just be Claymore anywhere, Instagram, Twitter. I, I'm, I've been, I've, Generally, I've been pretty active on Twitter. I have a Tumblr account, which I, I wish more people use Tumblr. It's one of the best places to just throw stuff up there. Um, but I, I've, I've been linking my Tumblr to my other accounts, uh, Instagram, um, Facebook. Um, I think I just, I think you should be able to follow me on Facebook now. Um, you know, you've got that limitation on how many people can friend right. you. Um, yeah. which, and it's and it's a pain in the ass to weed out the, you know, yeah. I mean, it's so, um, but I've been posting stuff there as well. Um, so yeah, Twitter, Twitter is still, I'm still there. I mean, I know a lot of people <laughs> are kind of bailing on it, but I, you know, I think it is what you make it. So, um, um, yeah. And, and what I would also say is you mentioned people, what, what would really help is if people went and just signed up for information on the campaign, even if they, if they have any interest or they think it's something cool to support, if they sign up for the information when it launches and everything, then yeah, it would help if once that happens, even if they don't do it themselves, but they want to support it somehow, they can, you know, share it and let people know that it's out there. I mean, uh, you know, we do our best to get the word out. I just, I, I, I always feel like I'm, you know, beating people over the head, even though I, a guy that I know who's a reader, who's loved my work for years, for years, like 15 years said, how did I miss that when it came out? He, he wasn't yeah. even aware of the original existence of it. You know, and you, you forget you live in these little bubbles and you're not, you know, you know, you're, you need to expand. So anyway. 
Yeah. I mean, I miss campaigns sometimes and I, I'm reading comics every day. I'm talking to creators all the time. And it just, I mean, there's just so much stuff out there now. He, so he didn't, he didn't know the original book ever existed. Oh my God. Which, wow. I was like, really? Did I not shove that down your throat 10 years ago? <laughs> uh, well, uh, again, thanks B clay for the time. Uh, I, and again, I know we've talked so many times about having you on for miles ago. We definitely should do that maybe sometime around the holidays. Uh, Cause that's just a fantastic, but probably my favorite thing you've ever done. Oh, thanks, man. Uh, it's, just, it's just amazing. So, uh, all right, everybody. Uh, we want to thank you for listening as well. Don't forget, go to show notes, go check out zoop.gg, whistling skull, uh, sign up to, to find out more about it, join the campaign, share it out there on social media, even if uh, it's not for you, uh, can make a great uh, gift for somebody else. So uh, that's going to do it for this episode. We want to thank B Clay for his time and thank all you listeners for joining us as always. And we will talk to you next time. Thanks, Jason. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes, as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.